I'm excited in my spirit. I'm happy. Are you happy? I said, are you happy? God without religion. Tell somebody God without religion. By the way, it is exciting to see you all here this morning. This today is actually our first um, Sunday experience in Eagles Park Suits and Hotel. And we are grateful that you are here with us today. And we are very sure that God's word is going to fill your heart. Yes, we are loaded with God's word, and it is going to transform your life forever. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> Hello, Pastor Stanley. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Good to see you, and thank you for watching with us this morning. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. So let's begin. We're talking God without religion, right? God without what? God without what? Now, what is religion? What is religion? Let's define religion. Religion is actually from the Latin word re, which is actually re. Re actually means again. It actually means again. If you check the root word or the Latin word where religion is actually rooted out from, it comes from the Latin word re, re. Hope you're writing what I'm saying down. This is something that's very important information. You've got to write it down. Okay. So, it means again. It means again. And then the other part of it is what you call um, regali. L-I-G-A-R-E. L-I-G-A-R-E. It means to bind. It means to bind. So, religion is a combination of two words. It's religare in Latin, which is the root word for where we get the English word religion. So what is religion? Religion simply means a return to bondage. A return to bondage. See, so the person came out before, but he thought, no, no, no. I've got to go back to some bondage. So by themselves, they carry themselves and enter into bondage. By themselves. That's what religion is. I'm telling you. And religion is so terrible because religion is what is called religious robbery. It's like religion comes to bugger your house. It comes to destroy your house. Have you ever had somebody attack your house before and then every night when you hear somebody at the gate, you're afraid. You're thinking, are they going to come this night again? That's what religion does. Religion will haunt you. Destroy a person's life. And you know something? Any man that lives in religion can never have a full relationship with Jesus Christ is a fact. Is a fact. Religion is a thief that delights to clean us out, but it, it actually plots to rob you of your spiritual possession and your sense of security. Any religious man can never be secured in his salvation because he's always thinking, what if I commit a sin today? 
if I die, you know, sometimes even in church, the pastor won't tell you, are you sure if you die today, you are going to heaven? Yes, because um, that's the only way to get people to get saved. So they use the fear of hellfire to get them to be saved. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Gospel means, gospel means a news that is too good to be true. Have, you, have somebody told you something before and you say, nah, it's not true? Eh? That is the gospel. Because when you understand what Jesus has done, his message is actually too good to be true. How can somebody tell me that he died for my sin and I don't have to pay for my sin again? It makes no sense. But you see, the problem is they don't understand the previous part. Look at it, for instance. I always tell people, what can you do to stop being a sinner? Or, or first, I ask the question, I say, who is a sinner? So somebody say, a sinner is somebody who sins. I said, okay, a sinner is somebody who sins. But the Bible says that we are born sinners. That means every man born to this world is a sinner. So how come can a baby in, the mod, in, a, in, his, mod, in his mother's womb be a sinner? What did he do? Is it that he was crying inside the womb? Or is it that he ate the mother's food without affirmation? What exactly did the baby do that became a sinner? Because of Adam's offense. Adam's sin made everyone in the, in the human race sinners. So once you are born into this world, you are born a sinner. And guess what? Here's the amazing news. There's, in fact, here's the bad news. There's nothing you can do in this life to remove yourself from that prison of sin. Absolutely nothing. If you like, fast from now to Jesus come. If you like, give your, if you like, sacrifice yourself. I say, I want to offer myself as a burnt offering. Nothing. If you like, give all your money to the poor. I say, God will think, well, God will at least give me a score. Absolutely nothing. That's the reason why God had to send his son to die. Because there's no other way to this thing. No other way to this thing. So, if one man's offense will make me a sinner for a sin I did not commit, isn't that unfair? Isn't that unfair? How can I be punished for something I did not do? Isn't that unfair? It's unfair, right? But here is the mystery. Here's the good news. Now, when Jesus died for my sin, the Bible says, because of one man's obedience, it says, many shall be made righteous. So, I'm righteous today not because I did something right. I do the right things because I'm righteous. Are you seeing that? Then I am righteous because of one man's obedience. In the same way, I was not a sinner because I sinned. The reason why I was sinning was because I was already a sinner. And the reason I'm a sinner, I was, actually I'm not. The reason I was a sinner is because of one man's disobedience. That's the gospel. So the gospel, the good news is Jesus has died for my sin. In fact, he took my place of sin and gave me his place of righteousness. That's why, I mean, having this type of mindset can make me stand in the presence of the devil with no sense of intimidation. Because if he tries to remind me of something I've done wrong, I will remind him where he's heading. He's going to be born in the lake of fire. Anytime the devil tries to threaten you, threaten your heart, malign you, attack you, attack him back with words. Because that is his weapon. When he came to attack Jesus, it's with words. And Jesus attacked him back with words. Jesus told him his end. He says, you, he has happened. Very soon you'll be roasted. Yes, remind him. Praise God. We have not started though. We have not started. So, I want to invite you to consider the idea that Christians need no religion of any sort. You don't need any religion at all. You can have everything you need in Christ. 
you can experience an intimate relationship with Jesus. But the problem is, we don't know how. That's why we think that we need some religion. We need some religion because we don't know how to experience this relationship with Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. How many of you have a Mac laptop? <coughs> Anybody has a Mac? Anybody has a Mac? Okay, nobody. Okay, how many of you have a PC? A laptop, PC. I'm talking about Windows, Windows. How many of you have ever installed another OS that is not Windows inside your laptop? Anybody tried it before? That means all of you are not into technology at all. Huh? Now, some people install Windows into their Mac laptop. When, when, when Apple produced the Mac laptop, they produced it with Mac OS, right? That was the OS. But some people say they don't like Mac OS. They want to take the old thing and bring it inside the new one. So they try to install Windows somehow. That's fine. Sometimes, even sometimes in our laptops, we install other operating systems because we are used to them. That's fine. It, with your computer, you can mix the old with the new, but not with Jesus. You cannot mix the old covenant with the new covenant when it comes to you because it is unmixable. Let me explain. One of the major arguments why you can never mix Jesus Christ with the old covenant. Now, when we say Old Testament, I don't mean the Old Testament portion of your Bible. I'm not talking about Genesis to Revelation. No, I'm talking about the contract that will, that will make most of the covenant. Are you following? Because the Bible says that, for instance, if your father has written a will, eh, can the lawyer come to the house and read the will to, to all the children? No, until he dies, right? So the Bible says very clearly that without the death of the testator, there's no, there's no testament. Until the testator dies, then the testament, then the will can be read. Are you following? In the same way, not every verse in Matthew is New Testament. It is only the New Testament portion of your Bible. Because Jesus had not yet died. Until he dies, then there can be a new contract. Because his will cannot be read until there's the death of the testator. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So that's the gospel. So, so, don't, so don't say Old Testament means... When I'm, so when I'm saying Old Testament, I'm not referring to your Bible. I'm referring to the Old Contract that God has with you of Israel. It's called the Old Testament. Is it making sense? Am I speaking too much English? All right, good. So now let's start. So one of the reasons why Jesus, you cannot mix Jesus Christ with the Old Testament, it is because of one major reason. Jesus, because of Jesus' lineage. His lineage makes him illegal to become high priest. Now let me tell you something. What did Moses say about the lineage of Jesus Christ concerning high priest? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing in scripture because Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. And priesthood was never given to the tribe of Judah. So how come is Jesus Christ our high priest? Something is wrong somewhere. Are you following what I'm saying? Follow this very carefully. In scripture, Moses only talked about high priest when he came to the tribe of the Levi. Only the Levi were giving priesthood. Are you following? So, if Jesus could not be high priest, then how come he's high priest? Because according to the law of Moses, he cannot be high priest. It is not possible for him to be high priest. So what does the Bible say? Hebrews, let's see something. So how come was Jesus high priest? Let's start from Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 13. 
It says, I'm reading from NIV. So if you have, if you're using your phone, you can move to NIV, but you can follow me carefully. If you're using hard copy Bible, God bless you. Manage it like that. Is that okay? All right. So it says, Hebrews 7, 13. It says, he of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from the tribe was ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Nothing about priests. Moses didn't say anything about the tribe of Judah, anything concerning priesthood. So for thousands of years, Old Testament priests only came from the house, from the tribe of the Levi. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, breaks all the rules, and then he calls himself our high priest. So how come could Jesus Christ be high priest? Now let's look at verse 12 of that same in Hebrews 7. Let's read together. I want to go. Are you there? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. Are you all there? Want to go read? Okay, if you're not there, say, wait for me. Okay, I'm waiting for you now. Three more seconds. Are you there now? All right, let's read together. I want to go. Are you ready now? I want you to see it. So you don't think I'm reading my own special Bible. You, want to, you have to sit in your own Bible. Hebrews 7 verse 12, want to go. So anytime a, if a priesthood must be changed, there must be a change in the law. Jesus Christ can no longer operate by the law of Moses because his priesthood has changed. So if his priesthood has changed, then the law also must change. This is the second argument. Why? we cannot follow the Old Testament anymore. We just can't. Because Jesus Christ, by every rule, he broke it. He couldn't be high priest according to the law of Moses. And then, of course, since he's priesthood, then it means that his rules too has changed. That's what it means. <laughs> Praise God. Listen, if you think you have ever committed any sin that is too big enough, I don't think so. Most of the people that wrote the Bible were murderers. How many of you have killed somebody before? Moses killed somebody out of anger. David killed another man because he had to steal his wife. I'm telling you, there is reason for killing. It's not that they were killing people. No, they were doing illegal things. Paul officially killed Christians to prove to God that he was doing God a favor. These were the men that wrote scripture. I said, if you think your sin is too big, think again. Because these are the men that God used. These are the men that God will call heroes of faith. We call them heroes of faith. I mean, you can't talk about scripture without talking about David. You can't talk about, I mean, you must talk about these men. These men of God, used by God. But they were all murderers. All of them, they killed people for selfish reasons. David stole some, Uriah's wife. Moses was angry that they were beating the Hebrews. Paul was doing God a favor. <laughs> what God did not send him. He said, doing God a favor, slaughtered everybody from house to house. In fact, let me show you, let me show you Paul's resume. Act 26, verse 10. Act 26, 10. It says, and that, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the lost people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a times I went one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme me. I was so obsessed with persecuting that 
and persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. I mean, the guy would travel to hunt a Christian down. This was his resume. This is Paul's resume. The same Paul that wrote more than half of the New Testament. The same Paul. So in comparison with killing Christians, how big is your own sin? No, if we were to compare sin now in category, how big is your own? I mean, no, you haven't, you haven't done even a, a, a minute. So you should think that God should have killed this guy. I mean, if there's anybody God should kill, he should kill the person that's killing Christians. The worst thing you can do is to kill Christians. The worst thing you can do is to kill Christians. So how can you kill God's own people? God should have roasted him with fire from heaven, opened the earth and swallowed him. Then you ask yourself, so why didn't God do it? This is, I'm showing you scripture, right? I'm not telling you a fairy tale. This is not fairy tale. This is true life history about this man, Paul. Praise God. I said, praise God. So, I said that if there's going to be a change in Jesus' priesthood, the whole system must change. Everything must change. Because the Bible says that when there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of rules. Everything must change completely. Are you ready now? Now, let me show you another reason why we cannot take the old and mix with the new. Hebrews 5 verse 10. Hebrews 5 10. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. All of a sudden, a new name appears in Hebrews. Is a man called Melchizedek. Moses never knew about any order called Melchizedek. The order he knew was the order of Aaron. Because Aaron was the chief priest. And all his children proceeded priests. Are you following? Now, the Bible is talking about Jesus' priesthood. That is not of the order of Aaron, but of the order of Melchizedek. So, who, who is Melchizedek? Because the Hebrews are thinking, oh, I remember this Melchizedek guy. He showed up in the Bible one time in Genesis. Let's see who this man is. I'll tell you something about Melchizedek. You'll be shocked. Genesis 14, verse 18. Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God's Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into our hands. So, <coughs> this guy, Melchizedek, showed up on the scene. Just like that. Now, who is Melchizedek? Hebrews 7 verse 3. Who is Melchizedek? I would, because this guy is a stranger. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek, Hebrews 7 3, was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So Melchizedek just showed up on the scene. No one could, the, the Jews couldn't trace who his father was, who his mother was. They couldn't even trace the genealogy. They don't know where he came from. The guy just showed up in scripture. And the Jews know a man called Melchizedek, a priest called Melchizedek. And they respect him as a priest forever. And then Jesus is telling us that his priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, listen, if God really wanted to have a smooth way, this is a total confusion. Number one, God would have made it very easy. He would have ensured, I mean, if God wanted to make sense to the Jews, he would have ensured that number one, Jesus Christ was born in the house of Levi. So that nobody can question his priesthood authority. Are you following? Number two, God will have ensured that 
his priesthood is of the order of Aaron. I mean, everything would just make sense. But God was not going to have a smooth transition. He wanted to disrupt everything and turn everything upside down. That's what he wanted to do. So he ensured that, number one, he didn't come from the house of Levi. He came from the house of Judah. He ensured that his priesthood is of a stranger. The priest that nobody knows. Only Abraham met him. And this, this priest, nobody knows his father. Nobody knows his mother. Nobody knows where he's coming from. Whether it's an angel, nobody knows. And this priest offered, in fact, Abraham gave this man tithes. The Bible says. He gave him tithes. And the man even gave Abraham bread and wine. He gave him communion. That same day. And Abraham is for the first time. And he even honored the man. <laughs> this is very interesting. Very, very interesting. So God was not having to, God was not going to have a smooth transition. He wanted to dis disrupt everything completely. So Jesus is from the wrong tribe to be priest. He has a wrong lineage. And on top of that, his priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek, a mystery man who lived before the law. And do you know something about this man? So you see, we can't just mix the old way with the new way. It's not possible. It's unmixable. If you try to mix it, you have something else that is not the gospel. That's the truth. You will have what is called religion. That's what you are going to have. God was not the originator of religion. A human being created religion. Should I say it again? I said God never created religion. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible said that God who comes in the voice of the garden in the day and the night, he comes to wash them, he comes to dialogue with them. God wanted to have a relationship with them. Are you following? But human beings say no. They want some rules. They want some regulations. They want thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. God said, because think about it. Abraham lived and God called him a righteous man without thou shall not. Are you following? There was no record. Listen, the law came 400 years after Abraham had died. So, Enoch did not live without 10 commandments. So, how come could he live a righteous life? Abraham did not use 10 commandments. How come could he live a righteous life? Okay, let's continue. Who again? Noah! God called him a righteous man. Which 10 commandments did he use? Which law? No law. These men were living righteous life without any law. But when the children of Israel got to Mount Sinai, they said, God, we want law now. Give us rules. Give us regulations. And God said, eh, you want rules, right? No problem. The first day God gave rules, the Bible says 3,000 people died. The first day. Nobody has been dying since, but since they want rules now, no problem. The first day Moses took 10 commandments like this, all of them defaulted. 3,000 people died. But listen, the first day the Holy Spirit was given in the earth, 3,000 were saved. 3,000 were saved. Are you seeing that? So there's something powerful about the gospel. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God, the dunamis of God unto soteria, unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto your transformation, your deliverance, your healing, your prosperity. Because salvation is a package. Salvation is not saved from hell. No, no, sir. Salvation is not being saved from hell. That is a part of the package. Salvation is saved from everything. Saved from poverty, saved from sickness, saved from disease, saved from worry, saved from depression, saved from everything that you don't want. Salvation is a package. And when God gives you that package, you take as much as you want. You know, some Christians don't want prosperity. God is not angry with you. God's not angry with you. Some Christians don't want healing. God's not angry with you. You will go to heaven. I'm telling you the truth. And God will welcome you to his house. Yes. 
Some Christians love depression, no problem. Some Christians love to worry, no problem. It's as much as you want. He has given you the package. You know, God has given you a gift. If I give you a gift, right, you can use the gift as you like. In fact, you can take the watch and hang it on your radio and let it be there as, as a fashion. In fact, one time, some, my, wife, my, wife gave, my wife gave somebody a gift, a very nice face-to-way gift. She went to the house and saw it on the door. They turned it to rag. Yes, a gift. Use the gift as soon as you like. <laughs> so, there's a gift anyway, because if truly you are, you know, if, if truly it's a gift, it's a gift. It's a gift, really. If you give me a gift and I give somebody else, you are angry that I give somebody else, that's your own problem. That means you not give me a gift. You gave me something else that you're not really calling the name. Uh-huh. <laughs> Praise God. You know, some people, they have ulterior motives. In fact, some people's gifts are with strings attachments. Strings attachments. So they attach some strings. You see some, see some guys that are giving the girl a gift. That gift has strings attached to it. They want some reciprocation back. And then when the lady is not giving that reciprocation back, they get angry. They say, can you imagine? After all the gift I gave this girl, ah, but I thought it's a gift to give her in the first place. Why are you angry? <laughs> I hope you're enjoying yourself. All right, so the new plan. Okay, now let's, let's look at something. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I want to give you an idea of this new plan that God has with us. Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 8. Okay. No, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. We can start from verse 6. Okay, it's fine. It's okay. Now, this was the problem God had with the law. Look at the problem. For finding fault with them. So God found fault with them. There was nothing they could do. I mean, all the men of old defaulted. Not one of them passed. Moses did not pass. David did not pass. Elijah did not pass. Elijah did not pass. None of them passed. All of them failed. 100% zero. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Next. Just keep going down some reading. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Move. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor or every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest move. I will be merciful to them right at the end. Now look at this now. He says, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember. Is that what he said? What did he say? Now, in the old covenant, God remembers sin. God remembers sin. No sin goes under the carpet for any reason. God does not smile. It, do, now, it doesn't mean that God has changed. God has not changed. So I'm saying that God has, no, God has not changed. What just happened is Listen, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means you sin, you die. That's, the, that's, that's really the truth. So, when you see somebody that sinned and did not die, the reason is because somebody has taken his place. Because of what is called substitution. That means I take his place, he takes my place. So, we exchange. 
Are you following? In Leviticus, God had to introduce the sin sacrifice system because human beings, there will have been no human being in the earth again after the law. All of them will have died because all of them were sinning anyhow. Because the law is so strict. The law is not like the Pharisees were doing. They were playing kajo with the law. In fact, they were telling Jesus, we are keeping the law very well. Jesus said, Mm-mm. He said, even if you look at a woman lustfully, he says, you have committed adultery. Ah, just looking. So, the person that did and the person that looked, he said they are the same. Ah, this one is too hard. Think about it. He says, just the imagination. He says, you have committed adultery. That's the standard of the law. And the standard of the law is this. When you offend in one, you offend in all. And how many laws? There are more than 630 laws. How many, of, how many Christians even know five? Do you know that in the law of Moses, you are not allowed to wear cotton and silk together at the same time? It's a sin. Now, let me, let me talk to you guys now. In the law of Moses, you are not allowed to shave your beards. You are not allowed to shave your beards. You shave your beards, you die. Are <coughs> you what I'm telling you? And listen, in the law also, hear this one, in the law, when you want to use the toilet, you have to face the east. Your toilet must face the east direction. How many of you, when you are checking the house you want to rent, you say, this toilet, where is it facing? Is it facing the west or the east? Come on. The law is dangerous. I mean, the law is terrible. It will, it will mess you up completely. If you want to follow the law fully, follow it very well. Don't f- Listen, when you follow the law fully, 100%, right, you will see the need for a savior. I'm telling you the truth. You will see the need why you need somebody to die for you. But when you are trying to paint it and do as though you are keeping it, you say, I can't even do it now. Then you are not really doing the law. Because the law, Bible said the law was a schoolmaster. The law was a waiting point so that the Messiah will come. So that when Jesus comes, you see the value of Jesus. When you don't understand the law, you don't understand the value of Jesus. That's why one time, Jesus was in a place and a woman who they called a prostitute brought an alabaster box, expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus, worshipped him with her hair, and all that. And then Simon the Pharisee said to somebody, he was telling somebody, he said, this man is not a prophet. This Jesus, if he was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman is a prostitute and a sinner. How can a sinner be touching him? Jesus said to Simon, he said, Simon, I have a question for you. He was saying it in his heart too. But Jesus saw his heart. He said, I have a question for you. He said that if a king, okay, he said, he said to him like this, there was a king, right? He borrowed somebody money, five million naira, and the person did not pay. And he borrowed another guy, five thousand naira, and the person did not pay. So two of them came to him and this one said, sir, I can't pay five million, sorry, sir. This other one came and said, sir, I can't pay five thousand this king was so generous, so gracious. He said, I forgive two of you of all your debts. He now says, which of the two will love more? Which one will love the, the guy more? The five million, because five million is more than what? Five thousand. Jesus said that they that are forgiving little, we love little. They that are forgiving most, we love most. That's what Jesus told him. Now, Jesus was talking to him because he thinks his sin is five thousand naira. And he thinks that the woman's own is five million. That was the reason. 
not knowing that him and the woman are the same. I told I tell people, I said, if I took you to the mortuary and I showed you four dead bodies, and I tell you that this one died four, four years ago, then this one died four months ago, then this one died four minutes ago, then this other one died four seconds ago, then I asked you, which among them is more dead? Which one will you say? You are dead. You are dead. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. It says, but now, it says we are made alive in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So now we have a new life in Christ. It's a life without religion. It's a life where we can experience Jesus to the fullness. It's a new way. Tell somebody it's a new way. And listen, you know, you know that song some Christians sing in Isaiah 51? It says, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your spirit from me. I didn't sing this song. Oh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Spiritual song, holy song. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew thy spirit within me. That's Old Testament. You know why? In the New Testament, though God does not take the spirit and give you spirit and take it, no. Bible says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Listen, you did not understand it. If I take water from this pharaoh bottle, hmm, and I take water from this pharaoh bottle, now this is you. Remember, we are spirit. Spirit means wind. Spirit means wind. It can't be quantified. That's why spirit has to be housed in the body. So your spirit does not have a shape. It does not have a form. Are you following? So now imagine your spirit is like water. You know, water can take the form of any container. Are you following? So that's how the human spirit is. So your spirit takes your body container. But this body is your house. You live inside. You reuse inside. This body is your house. This is all you need to live in this life. Your body is your house. Praise God. Not the beauty, no. This body is your house. Say, this body is my house. Yes. Or have that, have that understanding. This is your house. So now. I take water from this pharaoh bottle. Listen, listen carefully. I take water from this pharaoh container, right? I put a cup here. I take water from here. Then I pour this one into the cup. Then I pour this one into the cup. And I tell you, separate two of them. Take the exact water I put here, not measurement too. The exact one that entered here. The one that I poured from there, separate it back. How can you separate it? It says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. That's what he's saying. Once you are joined with the Holy Spirit, you are inseparable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. That's what the God, that's what the word says. That's what the scripture says. You are one with the Holy Ghost. One, joined to the Lord. It's not like joining to your tie, your tie and to, No, this one is mixture. And this mixture cannot be separable. You can't separate the water again. The worst you can do is just to measure it back. But you can't separate the real content anymore. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Do I still have time? Please check my time for me. How many minutes do I have? Two minutes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, let's look at one more scripture, then we close this morning. Let's look at um, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans 5.20 Can you put it on the screen? 
Romans 5:20. Is it in your Bible? Who has New American Standard Bible? It's a very nice Bible. Go and get it. Very, very nice Bible. That's one of the most, that's one of the best um, Bible translation from Greek. Very, very solid. NASB, New King James, King James, NASB. And also NIV. To us, NIV, you have to be careful of the year. Yeah, you can read that one, 2020. Uh, 1995. Read. Romans 5:20. Now, hear this. This is the reason why God gave the law. The Ten Commandments. I want to tell you the real purpose. Read it. Hold on. Read on the screen. One to go. Moreover, the law entered that what? Hold on. I thought if I give a law, it's to reduce offense. That's what I thought, right? That, that doesn't make sense. When you give rules, you expect them to, to reduce, right? But God said that he gave the law so that what? He said so that more offense, more sin. You know what Paul said? Paul said that without the law, he said sin was dead. How could I have known something was wrong if nobody told me it was wrong in the first place? The same was there. So, the moment the law is given, appetite is stayed up. Because when you tell somebody, it, have you noticed when somebody put a signpost, don't urinate in this place. That's where you'll see the urinating. <laughs> That's the way human beings are wired. They say, don't, no refuge jump in this place. That's where you see the refuge jump. That's what the Bible says. It says, but where sin abounds, it says grace did much more abound. That means there is no sin that is bigger than God's grace. That's what it means. Every God's grace. And listen, listen, 21. Can you go to 21? I like this one. It says that, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life in Christ Jesus. 23. Romans 5, 23. Oh, that's the last verse. That's the last verse. Wow, that's wonderful. I was thinking to add two more verses inside this chapter. <laughs> but here it is. The reason why people sin is because they don't have God's grace. Because the Bible says that God's, when God's grace is working in your life, it says it will give you power over sin. Are you saying that? The only solution to sin is God's grace. And I don't mean God's grace in a religious way. I mean real, authentic God's grace. Trusting in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Hmm? You know, some people, they trust in their fasting. They think it's their fasting and prayer. It is good. But your trust should not be in your fasting and prayer. Your trust should not also be in your Bible meditation. No. It must be on Jesus Christ. It says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. He says, all other ground is sinking sand. Because if your hope is not anchored on Jesus Christ, it's not last. It will not last. It will fail. Because one day you start to question God. He said, God, after all my prayer and fasting, why did this thing happen to me? You start questioning because it, it, it is very clear that that was where your hope was in. It was not in Jesus. Are you seeing that? Jesus Christ must be the center of it all. He must be the first and he must be the center and he must be the last. Is that okay? So we go at the beginning, he's there. Center, is there. Last, is there. Praise God. Let's give him praise this morning. Let's thank him for the word. Praise the Lord. We're out of time. 
I wish we had more time. We'll have continued for the next one hour. Praise the Lord. Can I have um, pastors come and serve this immediately? When you get your bread and your wine, just hold on. We'll take it together briefly. Can you sing hallelujah? You've won the victory. Can we stand to our feet this morning? I will take the communion.